Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Made For More podcast. It's Ali Nitschke here and today I am joined by Clifford Morgan. Cliff is an endorsed organisational psychologist and leadership expert with over 15 years of service with the Royal Australian Air Force, the RAFI. His years of service leading and coaching people both in uniform and out bring a wealth of experience that provides a unique perspective to assist his clients. During this time, he has trained hundreds of leaders to use coaching skills to develop people and lead more effectively. As a coach, Clifford has worked with CEOs, military commanders, government executives, and business and community leaders across a wide variety of industries. Clients continue to choose Cliff because of his engaging nature, incredible insight, and passionate commitment to leadership coaching that has inspired and innovated leaders and teams across Australia. This is an absolute delight. Let's jump in. Welcome to the Made For More podcast. I'll be sharing my experiences along with some actionable advice to take your leadership to the next level. Introducing your host, it's me, Ali Nitschke. I'm a leadership and courageous conversations expert, a Nutella lover, a mother of four young boys, a wife and a dance floor junkie. I'm here to give you the motivation you need to level up, lead yourself, lead your team and your business. Let's go. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Made for More podcast. Today, I'm excited to welcome our very special guest, Clifford Morgan. Hello, Cliff. Welcome to the show. G'day, Ali. Thanks for having me on. It is a pleasure to be here with you and all your listeners. It is my pleasure. I can't wait to jump into today's episode. But before we get there, can uh, you share a little bit about where you've come from and where you're going, your background? Yeah, certainly. So my name is Cliff, as Ali mentioned. I have a background in the Air Force. So I spent a number of years as what they call an airfield defence guard. And that's basically an infantry skill set for defending air bases. So uh, that was a whole lot of fun for, for a young man, running around, shooting things, blowing things up. Uh, and uh, But it was only ever going to be a temporary uh, career for me. I was never going to do a 30-year, uh, you know, become a 30-year veteran. So when I hung up my boots and rifle full-time, I went and started to study psychology and kind of went through the the eight-year journey to become a fully endorsed organizational psychologist. And uh, as a result of, of that, I've, I've really focused my time uh, spending it with, with leaders and helping them get the most out of their people at work. So uh, for the last kind of seven years, I've been uh, consulting in that space and, and running my own uh, business, which is rebranded to, to Lumion Consulting. And, uh, and yeah, so I, I spend my time working with, with a lot of leaders and, and leadership teams and uh, helping them really develop pipelines of leadership throughout their, their organisation is kind of my focus. Brilliant. I love that. And uh, I'm sure you get a lot of questions about working in the Air Force. I've got a sister that's actually in the Air Force in Newcastle. So I uh, always love hearing about people's journeys, particularly once you get out of, you know, sort of a little bit uh, of a, its own silo and own ecosystem, isn't it? So yeah. tell me a little bit, um, when you started in the Air Force, I'm guessing, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you started when you were quite young, sort of you finished school and joined? I was uh, I was 19 when I started. 19. Was that uh, your first job? Well, I was 18 months out, so it wasn't my first job. My first job 
Uh, I had a, I, I ran a couple of um, small kind of gigs in terms of you know, I was doing sports coaching and some administration work, and I was working at Sizzler for a period of time. Uh, I was originally I was uh, during that period I was actually studying to be a high school history and drama teacher. Uh, is, is a kind of very random, but uh, I, I got sick of of uni for a period and and said, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna take 12 months off and go do the the full time training and and then just stay on as a reservist in the air force. And uh, five and a half years later, I was still there and up for promotion and posting before I made the decision to get out. So uh, it wasn't my first gig, uh, but yeah, it was the one that kind of resonated the most to me in those early years. All right, that. That's that's a very eclectic mix, and all I can um all I really want to ask about is Sizzler. No, I'm joking. Uh, but, know, how good, how good is Sizzler? Where's it gone? Oh, I know, right? Um, so the reason I was asking that is because uh, you know in any of our defence defence forces within Australia, there is quite I guess a hierarchical leadership structure uh and in terms of uh, following following orders and following instructions. What's been I guess one of the biggest things that you've had to unlearn coming from a leadership role within the Air Force to now corporate leadership um, and, you know, working with public, with the public or civvies, civilians, as uh, as you like to say, is that right? Yeah, yeah, civvies, yeah. on Civvy Street. On Civvy um, Street, yeah. So, uh, look, I, I think it's it's around communication and, and bringing people on the journey, I guess, would be my answer to that one, Ellie. So, I was I was trained as a patrol commander uh, in the Air Force. I was you know trained to lead small teams of men kind of in combat environments. But you're right, there's a very kind of uh, hierarchical and and, and quite a uh, strong structure within the the defence organisations, and and therefore like you learn to lead in that environment in in that context. Uh, and there's a way that you communicate in that context. There's a way that you you kind of rely on a whole lot of set of assumptions and and willingness um, for people to operate within that structure. Now, my first leadership role outside of the military uh, was with a it was with a volunteer team in an organisation I was involved with. And <laughs> right, you know where this is going. Yeah, don't I you? do know where this is going. And, yes, uh, I'm here for it. So, um, you know, and we were standing up a new team and I thought, hey, I'm trained to lead people in combat. I was a fairly successful leader in the military. Uh, no one's going to be shooting at us. The pressure's not going to be that high. This is going to be easy. Yes. So I, I did everything right in terms of I wrote down the vision. I had the goals and the strategy and the plan and I knew who was going to do what. And we launched the team. And one month later, I put down the phone and that was the last person on the team telling me that they were out. Oh, no. In one month to lose an entire team of about 15 people uh, and I'm sitting there going, can I even can I even lead, right? Uh, and you know, I looked at it, there was a whole lot of learning that came out of that. But one of the big things was the way that I communicated and... Uh, you're know, needing to to bring people on the journey, I guess. And uh, I couldn't just rely on the fact that people, you know, saw me as the leader because of my rank or my position within the structure. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually had to really work a lot harder to demilitarize my communication style mm-hmm. so that I could relate, connect, and, and therefore influence um, rather than give a, a set of orders, which is what I was kind of used to doing. So... Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a really interesting experience uh, and, you know, one that was quite tough at the time, 
but one that I learned a lot out of. It's always the most humbling experiences, I think, that teach us the greatest lessons. And yes, yeah. when uh, when leading volunteers, it's a whole nother kettle of fish um, around motivation and and finding, you know, wh- what is it that drives them and how do you bring them along for whatever it is that you happen to be to yeah. be leading? Absolutely. I, I always say that leading volunteers is much harder than leading paid staff because if you don't, Absolutely. if you don't do your job well, then they don't have to turn up. Yeah. <laughs> I learned that the hard way, right? Yeah. Um, whereas if, you know, you've got paid staff, they turn up for the, the paycheck. So um, there's a, an extra level of motivation there. Yeah, I love that. What a, what a good lesson. So what do you think, um, you know, after you got the phone call for the last person who said, I'm out, did you go back and recruit a brand new team of volunteers or did you say, actually, I need to go back to the drawing board and uh, rethink my leadership role? Uh, so I definitely went back to my own personal drawing board and I was kind of like starting to analyze what what's going on here and what do I need to break down and um, you know there was some um, I, I was doing my first semester of um, psychology studies uh, at that time and we had right. to uh, we had a, a segment on uh, interpersonal communication, right? And so I'm doing a whole lot of self-reflection as part of that. And so there's very, very much kind of parallel journeys alongside. But what I ended up, <clears throat> excuse me, what I ended up doing was I, I recruited one single person. It was me and a team of one uh, ended up running, uh, you know, the, the series of events and projects that we were I was supposed to have a team of 15 doing so, you know, both of us were kind of uh, a little overworked and the scale of what we had planned to do obviously shrunk a whole lot. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's, you know, uh, I think a great story uh, when it comes to the way that you communicate in order to connect, but also, you know, the um, the impacts of, you know, poor leadership. And, and it's one of the things that I, I talk about, right, is, is that I, I try and, um, you know, wage a war on the perpetuation of poor leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. As so often people without, one, they don't know what good look good looks like. They've never yeah. sat under a great leader. Uh, yeah. And the, the other one is that they don't get great leadership training. And so they're kind of trying to figure out how, how do I lead well? Um, mm. And in the absence of that, they look to people who were above them yeah. uh, who are in the same situation, right? So yeah. they're trying to figure it out, not knowing how to how to do it well, and it's just kind of this perpetuating cycle. So uh, trying to, to break that as much as possible is, I think, really important in, in organisations and, and life in general. Yeah, absolutely. You are speaking to the converted, my friend. Uh, there is definitely, I guess, a systemic problem around following poor leadership as the the baseline or the standard. Uh, and I certainly come across, you know, a number of my clients who are trying to unlearn, you know, they read they read some book and they're going to follow that formula, but that doesn't work for them because um, they're not the person that wrote the book. So speaking of books, you have recently published your book. Is this uh, your first book? Coaching leader, yes. The coaching leader, congratulations. It is no mean feat to be able to uh, write a book, publish it. How does it feel to have it in your hot little hands? It's 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 good. Uh, it's it's been a, a bit of a journey to try and get it out there and and commit you know everything that's inside on paper, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know you, you kind of know that roller coaster journey that you go on. But it's it's nice to be able to hold something in your hand and and to kind of send it out and give it to people and, and send it out to the world. So um, yeah, it's a good feeling. 
Well, congratulations. And it looks like a nice uh, solid one as well for anyone who's listening, jump on to the YouTube channel and uh, and check it out. So tell us a little bit about the coaching leader. What prompted your idea to talk about the importance of coaching? Uh, how do you see coaching fitting into leadership as a skill these days? Uh, tell me about the book and where it began. Yeah. So the the whole I, I guess what you, you know I in my role right when I'm working with leaders and trying to help them uh, develop their leaders and and their people um, I do a lot of kind of executive coaching I use coaching uh, coaching skill set a lot and my my first I actually got introduced uh, we were just talking about this before I got introduced to coaching in the Air Force as part of the Air Force leadership coaching program. And uh, I was instrumental in kind of setting up that that program, really building momentum uh, out of Amberley here in, in Southeast Queensland uh, a number of years ago. And um, you know, I'm I'm a big believer that if as a leader, if you've got your uh, coaching skill set as part of your leadership toolkit, then it can enhance the coaching skills can enhance anything that you do as a leader. Mm. Uh, that's either with yourself. And you can kind of self-coach to make your work better and, and increase your own level of performance. But uh, if, if you've got coaching skill sets, then anything that you do, you can turn into an opportunity to develop people if you choose, mm. right? Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm a, a big believer that we don't need, um, you know, we don't want to fill our companies and our businesses full of executive coaches uh, because you're just going to be having coaching conversations all the time. No decisions aren't going to be made, and the focus being on developing people rather than developing capability and you know getting stuff done and delivering to the client. And we we don't necessarily we need our leaders to lead, but if we can equip them to um, really build and establish their people and the capability, then uh, you know every, everything just benefits and and increases, right? So it's really designed around equipping leaders with a, a skill set rather than creating more um, executive coaches. And I, I think the the analogy that the book starts with and kind of continues throughout is, is one of a, a captain and a pilot. I've got a, a grandfather, two uncles, three cousins and a brother who are all pilots. And, wow. uh, and I wanted to be a pilot when I was a, a little kid, but my eyesight's not 2020. And so that was never really an option for me uh and so flying is in the blood but it, it comes through in the book i was talking to my brother who's a Qantas pilot he's a first officer for Qantas, and we're talking to him around the difference between a first offer and a captain and what makes a good captain versus what makes a great captain and the you know the if you think about it most people you, you ask them what's the primary responsibility of a captain and the majority of people will sort of say well hey it's around getting the aircraft and the passengers safely from point A to point B. And that's 100% true. And that's what the, you know, that's what a good co uh, captain will focus on doing. But you can do that in two very different ways. And one, cap one type of captain will, you know, make sure they'll take that responsibility so seriously that they do everything themselves to ensure that it's done right, that the aircraft and the passengers get safely to, a, to from point A to point B. Uh, but my brother, I was talking to him, but uh, what happens with the really great captains, though, is that they still take that responsibility really uh, seriously, but they actually sit back and let the first officer do as much of the flying as possible. And in that way, what they're doing is they're 
essentially uh, developing the, the captain's capability for the, the, uh, the organisation, the airline. They're, they're allowing their first officers to get the experience, as much experience as possible so that they can be a captain in the future. Yep. Uh, and so a great captain will do what they need to do uh, and, and fulfil their responsibilities, but they'll do it in a way that develops other people, that develops the capability within the organisation. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, you know, is essentially one of the primary responsibilities of, of leaders. And, uh, and you know, I, I, I talk in the book around what's, are you, do you see yourself as part of, you know, a professional leader? Mm-hmm. Uh, have you joined the profession of, of leaders? And, and, you know, so, so often we start off in one particular role and that's our technical role and we, we get promoted over time. Um, but, you know, as we, as we go up in, in so many roles and organisations, we actually spend more time leading than we do doing our role. You know, yeah. you, you're no longer an engineer primarily. You don't do engineering. You actually do the management leadership function. So mm-hmm. are you treating your own leadership uh, as if you were a professional leader? And, and that's around, you know, are you investing in the development of your own leadership? Are you actually uh, facilitating the development of that capability both within yourself and others? Uh, and and so all of that is wrapped up in the book. And I guess that's kind of the, the premise. Um, you know, if we can equip leaders to really develop other leaders who can then go and develop other leaders, uh, then it's it's kind of this concept of what I call exponential influence or exponential leadership. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, that's kind of the the thread that runs through the entire book. Yeah, I love that. And what a great story to be able to link it in with your background and history in the Air Force, but then also having such a strong tie with your family as well. That's beautiful. Mm. So I see this as a, as a stumbling block that happens quite often uh, with people that are technically great at something and whether it's technically great, they're an engineer or technically great, they're brilliant at sales, uh, as is the way of our own hierarchical system. You know, you want more income. Uh, usually the next the next step or the way that you, uh, I guess, inc- increase your financial position within the workplace is to elevate as a leader. Uh when we're talking about, you know, stepping into a leadership role and then also stepping into and starting to embody those coaching skill set, what do you see as the biggest, I guess, blocker for leaders at the moment? Um, so there's a number of common ones I, I often see, and and one is uh, one is time. Mm. Uh, I think, uh, and and people say, hey, we're so busy. This coaching thing is great, and we would love to be able to, but we don't have the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as with all of some of the, um, I won't say excuses because it's not necessarily an excuse, but it's a legitimate concern that that people have, right? They are very time poor. Um, You know, two two things that I would say, right, is if, you know, um, if not now, when, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I think my... I have a, a friend of mine who challenged me once uh, when I asked him, how do you do so much? You've got a massive capacity. And he said, I'm always uh, asking myself the question, what do I need to do today that's going to give me more time in six weeks? Boom. And so often uh, he said that, you know, what I need to do in order to get more time is actually going to cost me. It's going to, you know, it's going to be a sacrifice in the short term in order to achieve the long-term rewards. And I, you know, I, I have a, 
is a, a thing I have around. I think society, you know, the Western society in particular, is you know much too short term focused. Mm. Uh, just thinking about what's what's next and what's the what's the reward this week or in this 90 days versus hey let's actually play the long game here um and and, and so that that i think all fits it feeds into it um the the other one is is just kind of the skill set right and it's kind of well hey i i i know that i should be developing people and i know that you know whether or not it's it's coaching or mentoring or, or teaching or whatever it is. I know that I should be doing this, but I've never, I've never been trained. Mm. Uh, I've yeah. I've uh, I've never seen anyone else do it to me, so it's not like I can just replicate. Um, you know what good looks like in that space, and uh, and so I think you know a combination of those two is probably the most common um, objection or or blockade blockage that. Um, that I encounter. Mm, absolutely. And I think certainly what you've said there around time is such a, you know, it's one of our most uh, rarest or I guess uh, important to me commodities. We can't make more of it. We can't get it back when we waste it or lose it. Uh, and I've, I usually, when I'm working with my clients, will say um, they're not allowed to say busy anymore. Instead of busy, they have to say productive. Uh, but interestingly, I think when it comes to leadership, is we actually have to slow down to be able to speed up. Like you need to take out the time to learn and build, as you mentioned, uh, you know, investing in the development of your own leadership so that you can propel your team forward, your project forward, yourself forward. Um, but sometimes it feels like you're going backwards, but actually you're just setting yourself up for the six weeks time or the six months time or whatever it happens to be in the future uh, and recognising that that ROI or that return on investment can sometimes be a little bit more difficult. Yeah. For, uh, you know, leaders that are listening to this, where, what, I guess they're going, well, how long? Like how long does it take me to become a coaching leader? What kind of timeframes do you see people getting some of the, some of the runs on the board? Because, you know, quick wins are always mm. lovely uh, to pay off, but, you know, it takes years and years to learn the, the art of coaching. If you're uh, someone that's listening and wanting to become or wanting to start building your coaching skill set, what where's their first starting point? Yeah, look. So um, I I would say first first starting point is just learn a little bit about what coaching is and some of the, the technical side of, side of things. And, and that's not to say, you know, go and do your cert for in coaching. I, I think that's incredibly beneficial, right? But as I said, we don't necessarily want to fill our companies full of executive coaches. Um, but it's just un understand um, something and, and so you can be a little bit more intentional about doing it, right? Yeah. So, I mean, coaching is really the art of uh, asking strategic questions that help people uh, identify the, the problems themselves and, yeah. uh, you know, overcome their own challenges, right, rather than relying on you. And I, I have this whole piece where I, I say you so often when they encounter a problem, they, they come to us as leaders and we tell them what to do. We give them mm -hmm. the answer. Uh, but that help, that keeps them in, in passive mode, right? And essentially they we train them to rely on us. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and so I, I talk about pa passive problem presenters that, uh, they they get trained to come there and they always go to their source of their last solution. And if that's you, then they always come and present their problems to you, right? Um, but really, if you're just asking questions, and it might be, um, it might be as as simple as as hey, well, you know, what are you trying to achieve? 
what what are your options what could you do right and and what's the best one and what are you going to do right mm. and there's four simple questions there and um and really it if if the environment's right, the context is right, you can create insight in doing that the first time, right? Um, and it's the skills themselves are not hard. It's just about being intentional about applying them. Uh, and and I always say that, you know, unless you can clearly articulate it, you can't be intentional about actioning it. So yeah. figure, figure out what is it that you want to do in terms of is it facilitating insight? Is it make people more... Um, uh you know proactive and and show a little bit more initiative is it that you want them to learn something and go what are the questions that i can ask in order to facilitate that process or that result uh and if you can clearly articulate what those questions are then you can be intentional about asking them when you have the conversation and you know you you're gonna um you're going to start to to see something i i I saw there's, there's a story that um that I tell in the from my time in the Air Force, where there was a couple of um, sergeants that came to one of the the early, very early coaching skills training sessions that I ran, and they had a problem that had a very junior workforce, so all aircraft technicians, so you know aircraft mechanics and that sort of thing, and they, they were very junior, and they kept on coming to these two sergeants saying, "Sarge, how do I do this? Where do I find this? You know, I'm, I've got this problem. What do I do here?" And the two sergeants were spending all their time kind of solving the problems for their, their people, and, but they weren't getting the chance to do their work, right? And so they had to either stay back late or take work home on the weekends, all of that. They came and sat in on the, the training and they got together and said, hey, this seems like good stuff, let's, let's give it a crack. And it worked really well because split shift and two sergeants, they, they covered the entire workforce. Uh, and in the space of about, I, I think it was less than two weeks, uh, the the troops started to notice a difference and they came to him and said, Sarge, what's going on? You never tell us the answers anymore. You just ask us all these questions. Uh, and and so the two sergeants pulled everybody together and said, hey, we went and did this coaching training and, um, and this is what it is and this is the approach that we're taking with you guys because we want you to kind of step it up to the next level. And everyone was like, oh, okay. Uh, once they kind of knew that, they were able to engage a little bit more intentionally. And within the space of about six weeks of that conversation, uh, apparently everything had changed within the workshop. So mm -hmm. the morale was up drastically. Um, you know, the, the actual performance numbers, the metrics had gone up. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the biggest benefit for the two sergeants was that they were leaving work on time they right? got their time back yeah so you know in in that space that i mean that's a kind of a six-week turnaround right which is not very long not very long at all yeah that's amazing so yeah yeah it's certainly one of those levers that you can pull that gets rapid results very very quickly if you take the time to slow down to uh to speed up i remember um and this is a very early lesson in my own leadership journey when I was a baby leader. It was 2005. So to give you some context of how long ago it was. And I had a, a brand new, brilliant- 18, Ali. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes. I started when I was working when I was five. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. 
uh, I had a brilliant leader, DC. He's still a friend and mentor of mine now, uh, that many years later. And I remember coming to him on one of his first or second days being like, I've got this huge problem. And he looked at me and he said, don't come to me with your problems, come to me with your solutions. And I, at first I was really put off by it, but it was the best lesson. And it was awful at the time that I've ever learned around critical problem solving for myself way back then and have always adapted that with my teams as well going okay well I'm not going to give you all the answers like what are your ideas and often they'll have even better ideas than I have had and better solutions because you know they're, they're technical experts um, and the subject matter experts are what they do so the only the, the only caveat to, to that approach Ali which I, I, I've seen and, and I like in terms of pushing back and saying hey you need to think about this yourself first uh, but particularly when your staff and your team are, are junior and don't have yeah. a, um, a lot of experience, you've got to give them some of the skills to be able to generate the solutions yeah. uh, before they come to you. Because if you just go, hey, I only want solutions and they've got no idea how to come up with them, then yeah. they're just going to stop coming to you. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. and, you know, you're you're going to get blindsided by by problems that you didn't know about because your people didn't come to you because they didn't know they didn't know how to find a solution before they come to you and they just get scared right yeah uh and so you know there's there's a real benefit to that approach as long as your people know how to generate the solutions and if they don't teach them yeah uh, so that you can then pursue with that with that approach Oh gosh, we could dip into psychological safety now, but we won't. We'll save that for we'll save that for episode two. Yeah. Uh, but I did want to wrap up with your top five tips for leaders. Fire away! Yeah, so top five. Uh, look, I, I guess no surprise given the book and what I do is ask more questions. I, I think is always a a good one. That you know, the more questions you ask. Uh, and the more intentional you are about the questions you ask, uh, I think the the more influential you become, the, the more uh, you develop that capability in your people. So that would be number one. Second one would be isolate the insights. Uh, and so what I, I often talk about with, with people, if you learn something in a particular scenario, isolate the insight from that scenario and you go, okay, so the lesson in that is... And then once you've done that, you can go, okay, cool. How would I apply that insight again in the future? What are all the other different scenarios that I'd, I'd use? If mm. you don't, then that insight stays with that scenario. And it's either, you know, if you're lucky, you come across a similar scenario uh, and you can apply that insight. Otherwise, you just don't, you, you don't think about how you could take that lesson and apply the learning elsewhere. So, so that would be tip number two. Um, Third one would be take the time to articulate. So as I said before, uh, that principle of unless you can clearly articulate it, you can't be intentional about actioning it underpins all the work that I do. Uh, and I challenge people to, um, to find an area of their life and work where that doesn't apply. Uh, Love it. You, you, won't, you won't be able to. But So if you want to do something, articulate what it is, how you're going to do it, and then you can be intentional about doing it. Um, Fourth one would be uh, buy more coffee, right? And, <laughs> buy uh, more coffee. Buy more coffee. Okay. And so when I when I first started out, uh, I uh, when I graduated from psychology, I wanted to do a particular type of consulting, and no one in that space was uh, hiring at that point in time. And so what I did was I was like, well, while I'm looking for a job and while I'm waiting, I will try and buy as many people who are established uh in the in the industry coffee as possible and it did it, it did multiple things it did three things right one it established my network 
really widely. Uh, two, I got to learn and get a whole lot of advice from people who, you know, were further down the journey than, than myself. And three, uh, it was it was through doing that that I got a whole lot of opportunities, um, some near term, some much longer down the track. Uh, but it was because I was intentional about going out, buying coffees, getting advice, building the network, and uh, and that really set up kind of my career. Um, and so buy more coffees is is one that I, I say, and it, it doesn't stop, right? It's really, really good early on in your career, but as you, as you get uh, get older and you're going through different stages, buy coffees for the people that are at the next stage than, than you and, uh, and keep learning, keep building your network in that way. Um, and and the, the final one is have fun, right? You can do more than what you, uh, what you think you can. And so have fun doing it. Fill life with engaging activities and don't just kind of work and I've got to do this and there's nothing outside of that to be successful. Broaden your horizons. Take a step back. What do you want to do that's fun? Um, because that's going to really increase your vitality in life, and that's going to give you a whole lot more energy in work, so you can perform in that way. So, there's my top five, Ali. I love it. I love it. So, ask more questions, isolate the insights, take the time to articulate, buy more coffee, and have fun. What do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? Uh, so I spend a bit of time exercising. I love camping and hiking. And so I, I try and I, I literally at the start of the year, uh, I will book out three weekends throughout the year uh, strategically. And I put there the, like I do family holidays first, then it's those three weekends second. And I'll go camping and hiking by myself uh, on those weekends and then work and everything else gets put in ar- around that. So beautiful. Um, and the veggie garden. I've got got the veggie garden. Keeps me sane. Yeah, put the big rocks in and uh, get connected with nature, literally in the dirt. Love it. If uh, any of our listeners are looking to get some more resources and connect with you on on socials, where can they find you? The best place, Ali, is uh, cliffordmorgan.com.au. And uh, for anyone that jumps on there, there's a a great resource I'd love to be able to give your listeners, uh, which is a beginner's guide to coaching conversations. So uh, you can download that for free on the website. It's also the best place to get the book. Uh, Brilliant. Interested in finding out more about the book and and ordering, then go to that same website. I'm also really active on LinkedIn. So please, you know, reach out, connect with me on there and say, hey, I listened to your conversation with Ali and I'd love to, I'd love to hear your insights that you isolated from our conversation. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. And I will, of course, put all the links in to today's show notes. Thank you so much, Cliff, for sharing uh, all of your hot tips around coaching and the importance of coaching for leaders. And again, congratulations on your new book, It's a Ripper. Thank you very much, Ali. I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity and we'll talk soon. All right. Bye for now. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode on the Made For More podcast, please make sure you subscribe to receive future episodes. And of course, five-star reviews are always welcome on the Apple podcast. If you'd like a copy of the show notes or any of the links mentioned today, check out madeformore.com.au forward slash podcast. And of course, if we aren't connected already, you can find me in all the usual places. Ali Nitschke on LinkedIn, Ali.MadeForMore on Facebook and Instagram. I hope you have an awesome week and I'll catch you again soon. Bye-bye.